Good morning. That's a very fitting song for the second week of Lent. On this second Sunday of Lent, our focus will be on commitment. Commitment to the faith, trust, and confidence we have in Jesus and the resulting courage he has given us to endure and finish this race he has called us to. Slide one, please. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation? that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. Chuck Swindoll. We can land on the moon and develop amazing new drugs. We can achieve incredible things with the aid of artificial intelligence. But we can't seem to handle the death problem. That should tell us something. In Genesis, we read that the first humans were not designed to die. But they were clearly told that if they sinned, death would be the sure outcome. This is all the more reason to embrace Jesus and adopt his answers for life. And if we do, he will not only restore us to the dignity we lost, but he will also take us on into eternity. End quote. What is the purpose of 40 days of Lent? Most people view it as a time for self-denial, a time to abstain from guilty pleasures. But Lent should rightly be a time for contemplation. These 40 days prior to Christ's crucifixion are a time for us to contemplate the passion of the Christ, the suffering the Lord Jesus endured body, soul, and spirit, all for us. But we have questions, so many questions. And perhaps the first question we should ask is, why 40 days? Why do so many monumental happenings in Scripture involve 40 days? Noah's Ark was not delivered from the floodwaters for 40 days. Jesus was not taken up into heaven until he had ministered for 40 days after his resurrection. After Jesus was baptized by John, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus deep into the wilderness for 40 days of temptation. Why? Because 40 days in Scripture is always a time of preparation. Lent is a preparation of our hearts so we may properly honor Christ's sacrifice. But why does the Lord's Prayer say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, when that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did to Jesus? 
Why did Father God allow Jesus to be tempted with sin for 40 days and 40 nights? Just like Noah, Jesus was being prepared to bring forth a brave new world. Do we dare doubt that Satan did not summon all his powers against Jesus those 40 days? Of course he did. But why did Father God allow this? We need to know why. Slide two, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 from the ESV. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted above your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The man, Christ Jesus, was subjected to every temptation you and I face nonstop for 40 days, and he did not sin. Hebrews 2.10. For it pleased God to make the captain of our salvation perfect through suffering. And you know why. You know exactly why. So you and I can never say, Lord Jesus, you just don't understand how hard this is. You don't understand how demoralizing and debilitating this is. And Jesus will always answer, oh yes I do. But how did the man in the God-man do it? How did he survive this trial? How do you and I survive the endless onslaught of Satan? How do we survive the trials and temptations? We do what Jesus did. We commit ourselves to prayer and fasting, and then we fully lean on the unfailing strength of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask once again that you minister your word to us. Give us the rhema of your word. Through your Holy Spirit, make every word come alive in our hearts and lives that we may have the courage to follow you heart and soul. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is Exhortations. The text is Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is, is much like Romans chapter 8. It is very powerful. But as we continue our overview of the book of Hebrews we should achieve an understanding that the overarching theme of the entire book of Hebrews is exhortation. But exhortation to what? Slide three, please. Starting with Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the theme here is listen very carefully. Listen to what? 
So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. Remember, your relationship with your Savior is a marriage. You are the bride of Christ. And as I've told you before, no marriage crashes on the rocks because a husband and wife fall out of love. Marriages are destroyed because two people fall out of relationship. Therefore, Jesus says, listen very carefully to my truth so you don't fall out of relationship with me. Chapter 3, verse 6. Hold on to courage and hope. We are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in Christ. We are God's house. C.S. Lewis. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, you think you understand what he's doing. He's repairing the drain, stopping the leaks in the roof, things you knew needed doing. But then he commences with a work that is quite painful. He starts knocking out walls, adding a new wing here, putting up an extra couple of floors there throwing up towers on each corner, adding a courtyard. It's all quite different than you imagined. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he has built a palace, one he intends to come live in himself. Let's trade in our dreams for his. Chapter 3, verse 12. Do not turn away from the living God. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Hebrews 10, 13. You must warn each other every day so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Slide four, please. Chapter 414. Hold firmly to the faith you profess. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. I met a young man a couple of weeks ago. I told him I was a pastor, and he said this. I was raised Catholic, but I don't practice it. So let me ask you a question. What's the difference between Catholics and Protestants? I answered, the big difference between Catholics and Protestants is this. Protestants don't believe Mary is divine. Therefore, we don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to saints. Only Jesus died on a cross for our sins. Only Jesus has the power to free us from our sins. Only Jesus has the power to help and heal us. I continued. 
If you read the book of Hebrews, you will find that Jesus is our great high priest. And no one else has direct access to Father God. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray directly to the Father in his name and no other. There's only one mediator between Father God and us, and his name is Jesus Christ. We can go directly to him. We need no one else. I made him drink out of a fire hose, but I think he got it. Chapter 6, verse 1, go on to maturity. We find a master plan for mature faith. In the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 6 1. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from our evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Chuck Swindoll. We must continue growing in the Lord. To put it simply, growing up means having less supervision from others and more direction from the Holy Spirit. Less of needing to be told what to do by more mature believers and more of following God's leadership by digging deeper into his word. Slide six. Chapter 10, verse 22. Enter God's presence fully trusting. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. What's that? Pure water. The water of the word. Ephesians 5.26. Hebrews 4.16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You're not bold with someone you don't know because you don't want to risk insulting them or being perceived as brash or rude. But our Father God says, you are my child and I love you. Therefore, I want you to be bold and confident when you ask me for what you need. After Christ's crucifixion, the Most High God hung a welcome sign on the Holy of Holies. Jesus offered himself as a forever atonement of our sins. Therefore, Father God has hung a huge neon sign flashing red letters that say, open for business. What business? What business? Holiness. When Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. Father God tore the curtain between himself and us. His holy of holies became a wide open tabernacle 
with no walls and no partitions. The holy place of God is now a drive-through supermarket of grace. Why would you stay away? Slide 7. Chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. Do not throw away your confidence. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Receiving all that God has promised is Christian maturity. Chapter 10, verse 38. Do not turn away from God. Verse 38. My righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Slide 8, please. Chapter 12, verse 1. Run this race with endurance from the message. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. So how do we summarize all these exhortations? Here's the heart of it. Slide 9. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go boldly into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Chuck Swindoll again. The book of Hebrews builds to a climax here in chapter 10. All the way through, the focus, the spotlight, has been upon Jesus, who has opened for us a new and life-giving way to the Father. We don't have to go through a system of works. We don't have to go through a merely human priest. We don't have to just hope God will lend an ear and listen to us when we pray. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 begins with two facts. Number one, Jesus is our eternal high priest. Number two, 
Through his work, we can confidently become before, come before God in his most holy place. Because of this, we must act. We hold fast to God's promises. And then we make his promises our stability in difficult times. And then, verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Slide 10. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. When Jesus sits down, his work is finished. His work of salvation is finished. The rest is up to us. Verse 14, For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Note the phrasing here in verse 14. Jesus has made perfect those who are being made holy. Father God sees us as perfect now and forever because of the perfect sacrifice of his son. Therefore, we are being made more holy every day of our lives. And our holiness won't be complete until we meet Jesus face to face. So what is holiness? It's when our faith matures to the point where we want nothing else in this life more than we want Jesus. Holiness is making Jesus the focal point of our life. If we don't pursue holiness, it's like telling Jesus, Lord, I'll meet you at the dock, but I won't climb into your boat. And this is exactly what St. Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 2. In the King James, St. Paul tells us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Slide 11, please. The NLT is a far better translation. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. The new covenant God made with us is a covenant of holiness. He is holy, and his great desire is for us to be holy. And for that to happen, we must trust and obey. Hebrews 10, 16. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then God says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. 
The one thing we need to comprehend about the forgiveness of our sins is the fact that when God looks at us, he sees us through corrected vision. When Father God looks at us, he views us through the lens of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Since we are in Christ, the Father sees us as perfect people. People who have been redeemed, regenerated, and made forever perfect because we are in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 But what happens when we keep Jesus at an arm's length? We soon drift away. We drift so far away we can't be saved. Unrepented sin in our lives is a powerful current. It will pull us away from the safety of the boat we call salvation. I love scuba diving. Almost died doing it several times. But the first time I uh, dove in the Gulf of Mexico, my guide told me that the currents are very strong here. The currents are so strong that if you're going to dive or fish in the Gulf of Mexico, you tie up to an oil rig or your boat will wind up in Mexico. But uh, a friend and myself, we jumped in. We only went down maybe 20 feet. And we were admiring all the fish. And pretty soon we uh, thought, well, maybe we ought to go up and get oriented. We swam up and we're 500 yards from the boat and floating fast. So we set our compass and we started paddling very hard. My friend was in much better shape than myself. He got to the boat swiftly. Myself, <clears throat> I had to pray. You just look down at that compass and you paddle as hard as you can and you say, Lord, give me the strength or I won't make it. The current of sin will destroy us. Slide 12, please. Hebrews 10, 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. You continue in your sin, you become God's enemy. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. We covered this last week. Those who continue in their sin are carnal Christians. But when St. Paul talks about carnal Christians, understand this, he's speaking of a terminal disease. 
a terminal disease of the spirit. I believe carnal Christians are not Christians at all. I disagree with Chuck Swindoll on this point. Very few things I disagree with Chuck Swindoll on, but I disagree on this point. Carnal Christians are those who continue in their sin. And they will eventually drift away and die in their sins. If you're a carnal Christian, you fall away because you refuse to leave your sin. You refuse to follow Jesus by obeying his commandments. Judas walked and talked with Jesus face to face for years. Jesus shared the fullness of himself with Judas. And Judas still fell away. Carnal Christians, great and small, will come to Jesus on the judgment day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do many wonderful things in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. There will be thousands of carnal Christians saying to the Lord on judgment day, but Lord, I went to church every time the door was open. I was a member of the church. I sat on almost every committee. I was the Sunday school teacher. I served as a deacon. I was the pastor of a very large church. And Jesus will say, all you ever did was use me to make yourself look important. You believe, but you did not follow. You made it to the dock but then refused to climb into my boat. It's one thing to feel the warmth of the Holy Spirit in your life, but quite another to walk into the midst of that fire and allow yourself to be consumed by the fire of the Holy Spirit. This is salvation. Walking into the middle of that fire and being consumed by the love of God. And therefore, how dare we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, The message you've put on my heart for the past six months is that of repentance. Pray that you will etch that on our, on our conscience. Chisel that in our hearts. Make it indelible. In repentance and rest is your salvation. If we don't live a life of repentance, we grow cold. We drift away. Father, we have so many friends and family that have grown cold. And they've drifted away. But your grace is magnificent. 
your grace will call to us to the very end. But if we get cold enough, we will not answer. So Father, give us your courage, your strength to speak with boldness to everyone we meet, especially friends and family, to pray, to ask you for opportunities to speak your truth so that they will turn before it's too late. The days are getting darker and darker and darker. But your light cannot be extinguished. Help us shine your light. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings to you all.